Okay, let's go to Exodus 12 today. Start there. Exodus 12, verse 38, or 37. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. Now, this is when they come out of Egypt. About 600,000 men on foot besides children. And verse 38 says, A mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. And I want to draw your attention to this phrase, the mixed multitude went up with them. And if you start to really look at this, you can't really get an exact meaning of exactly what it means as far as who the mixed multitude were. But it seems to me that they would have been uh, Egyptians from Egypt, probably native Egyptians, uh, who for whatever reason wanted to escape from Egypt, you know, for what, I don't know, maybe they were certain ones in society that um, the Egyptians dealt with in a different way. Either way, uh, they were a mixed multitude and, and they weren't Hebrew. That's the point. They weren't Hebrew. Now, whether they were escaping because of the government or some personal reason, or maybe they saw how the Lord worked upon, uh, you know, with Moses upon the, the people, upon Pharaoh, to release the people, and maybe they saw the miracles and they said, hey, there's something to this, and we want to go with them when they leave uh, Egypt. Uh, and so here you have them, they're, they're out in the wilderness, and they have the mixed multitude here. Now, in Leviticus 24, one of the problems is that the mixed multitude here is going to influence the people. Now, it says here in, in Hebrews that they could not enter in. We know they didn't enter into the promised land. They were in the wilderness, but they could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And unbelief course is an individual thing, but just like anything else, people can be influenced, and we'll see here one of the influences of the mixed multitude, it shows us in Leviticus what happened, one, one incident, and of course, I don't believe this was just an isolated thing, that there were other things that went on, because they did not hold to the same God that the Israelites did. They did not uh, look to the Lord as being the one who, okay, is our God. Now, there's a verse somewhere in the Old Testament that it says that the Amorite, I think it's the Amorite, and the Moabite were not to enter into the congregation up to the 10th generation. Uh, but we do see, for example, Ruth, who was a Moabitess, from Moab, she came in and became actually part of the lineage of Christ. So what was the difference here? The difference was that Ruth was justified by faith, or you could say that Ruth believed in the God of Naomi, and he, she made him, God, her God. And so that changes her now from being a Moabitess to being a part of 
those who believed in God, the, the Jews. So in verse, this is chapter 24, verse 10. Now the son of an Israelite woman, and here's the key to this here, whose father was an Egyptian. So there was a mixed marriage here uh, between an Israelite woman and an Egyptian man. Now the, the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel and this Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilomith, the daughter of Debri uh, of the tribe of Dan. Then they put, her, uh, put him in custody and so on. So the influence here was most likely from the Egyptian father, the ungodly father, who had given, so to speak, his values to his son. And he, he's called here the son of this Egyptian, this Egyptian man, Egyptian father. But the point is, this was a, a mixture, uh, just like you see the mixed multitude that we looked at at the first scripture in, in Exodus. And there was a difference and there was an influence upon the people. There was an influence upon the people and it was not a good influence. So in Exodus 12, back uh, where we were before, Exodus 12, <clears throat> verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. So the foreigner would be those who were not Israelite, but they had certain rules pertaining to the foreigners that were among them. They, they, they had... Um, dealing with the circumcision, and, and here, the Passover, they could not partake of the Passover. So there was a division here among the people because the people were not of pure stock. Or you could say that there was a mixture because of what they believed and how they viewed things. And... This is something that's not just limited to Exodus and Leviticus and various places in the Old Testament, which we're going to look at some of those. Uh, it's not limited to that because today it's the same. There are in churches those, and I, I believe this is the case with most churches, that you have those who are walking with God, and that they, they've drawn close to him, and they want to serve him. And they want to serve him and, and do his will and so on in their life. And not only do they say that, but their lives line up with that. And then you have those who uh, maybe don't want to serve the Lord in certain things because to serve the Lord like Caleb did, fully or wholly, will cost you what you want to do many times or where you want to go or what you want for your life. 
Because, see, with those who want to follow the Lord, there is to be a communication with the Lord. Say, Lord, what is it that you would have me do? Not what I want or the direction I want to go with my life, but, Lord, what would you have me to do? And see, that there's a cost involved in that. And you have those, again, in churches who will not make certain decisions and, you know, that will cost them. But Jesus said uh, that if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And so there are those who may be quite comfortable being a Christian. Uh, but when it comes to taking up their cross, what the Lord has for them, the purpose he has for their lives, well, then that's something different. Uh, you know, that's, and, by the way, that very thought here that we're seeing here is in the churches where you have a mixed multitude. You have those who, who as I said, want to serve God and direct their lives in that way. And there, then you have those that maybe, you know, they're not too, you know, they go to church maybe, they may read the Bible. But as far as the personal dealings of God in their life and really giving their life over to him, you know, some, some people just don't do that. Okay, now, in Jeremiah chapter 5. There are various reasons why the Lord does this as far as <clears throat> separating the, um, the mixed multitude. We'll see this in, in Nehemiah in a few minutes. There's reasons he does this, and of course we're not going to look at all those uh, different reasons, but there's one I want to show you here. Because we can, if we're not serious with God and we're not really walking close to God, we can be influenced by the world. We can be influenced by those in the world who have a different set of values, uh, a, a different way of doing things, a different way of seeing things. And, and we may even like them. They may be good people. Um, they may be funny people to, to be around in, in the work environment, but you will find that they have a totally different value system and their lives do not line up with the things uh, that Jesus said. And they don't line up with the kingdom principles that we see in the New Testament. And so those that go that way are pretty steadfast in their way. And if you run into someone, for example, at work, they may be extremely uh, strong-willed. And they influence, you can see it sometimes, they will influence other people around them in a certain way. But see, we're not to be influenced by these, anybody. We're to be influenced by the Spirit of God the working of the Holy Spirit within us, that's to be our main influence in our life. Not people at work, not people in our neighborhood, uh, and so forth. You know, it's, it's not to be that. Now, one of the reasons the Lord wants this separation is seen here in Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah 5, verse 19. And it will be when you say, why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? Now remember, Jeremiah was a prophet. The Lord raised him up to warn uh, the nation of Judah that if they continued to move in their own will, in their own way, and to, to continually sin against God, and, and they wouldn't repent, that God would bring the Babylonians in. And Jeremiah says this in various places throughout the book, that the Babylonians would come in and would take them captive to Babylon. But we know that the people didn't believe that. They wanted to hear and believe the false prophets that were saying things that they wanted to hear. Just like today, people flock to certain places to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear the brand of gospel that suits them. Uh, so that there's not uh, a sep the separation that the true gospel should bring. So here in verse 19... And it will be when you say, why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? Then you shall answer them, just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve aliens in a land that is not yours. And he's talking about Babylon. They're going to serve these foreigners, the Babylonians. And so here in this verse you see the influence of the people of the land. And that was that they would serve, they would begin to serve the gods of the nations around them. So that the influence here of these gods in the lands would influence the hearts of the Israelites. Now, it's not to be so, but it was so, and that's what happened. So whenever the Lord is talking about the mixed multitude and, and he's calling for a separation, there's various reasons for that. One of them is because of their influence upon the Israelites. Now, in Numbers 11, I want to look at a couple of verses here, then we'll go into Nehemiah. Numbers 11, verse 1. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them in the outskirts of the camp. And I believe the King James uh, says, does anybody have the King James here? Does it say, huh, outermost? Outermost parts. Uh, my translation says the outskirts of the camp. And so I find that very interesting that the fire that was sent by the Lord was sent to the outskirts of the camp. Well, what, what's the difference between what's going on in the center of the camp and the outskirts of the camp? Well, just let me illustrate it this way. In churches, you have, as I said before, you have the core. You have those people who are serving the Lord. And I believe this is the case with most, if not all, churches, um, especially the real big mega churches. 
you have those that come in that called upon the name of the Lord, they're saved, but they are on the peripheral. How do you say that? Peripheral? Periphery? Periphery? Is it a noun? Periphery? They're on the outside. And uh, what I mean by that is, spiritually speaking, they are not in the center. They're not in the flow. They're not in a, you know, with the Lord and his purpose there and moving with that. They are on the outside. They're on the outskirts. They're, they're you know, the very uh, the uttermost part here. Uh, that, well, I'll put it this way, some of them are as far away as you can get without moving back into darkness. And some Christians live in that place. Now, you know, we don't see that much here. But there are churches and there are people that are, are in these places on the outskirts of the camp. And... Those in the outskirts do not have the dedication nor the desire that the Lord would want uh, as those who maybe are further on in. Verse 2, then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tiberah. Because the fire of the Lord had burnt among them. Now here, this is the interesting part. Now, after that, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. Or they yielded to their desire for what they wanted. Uh, somebody else have another translation. What does it say? They fell lusting. Okay, they yielded to their own desires, and that is falling away. Okay, now here's, here's the point here. Look at this. Now the mixed multitude who were among the, them yielded to intense craving, so the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? So the mixed multitude here became a negative influence upon the children of Israel. Just like others can have a negative influence upon you. You, you know that's true. You get in the right environment, and if you're not you know, standing strong for the Lord, and you're not going to, you know, so to speak, walk in that straight and narrow path, you may see that influence come, and you may see that influence uh, deal negatively with others around. And so the mixed multitude here, because of their desire, because of their lust, because of their craving, they move a certain way, and the Israelites follow right after it. Just like they did many times in the Old Testament, they followed after their gods. Solomon, as we know, had many wives, and he took wives of the country around, and his wives led him down a different path. 
and he ended up, ended up serving their God. And the Lord says, I believe, in, well, in several places, but the one place is um, where the Ten Commandments are written, where he says, you should not have any graven image uh, before me or among, among you. Uh, he said, and then he goes on and he says, because I am a jealous God. See, the Lord wants the heart of his people. And that particular thought there goes beyond the church setting. So you say, well, I come to church and I serve the Lord. Uh, this, you know, I am a jealous God doesn't really pertain to me, pertain to them. But see, we can go after other things in the world, uh, whatever that may be. You know, it could be a hobby. It could be anything. And then we go after that, and that takes up a certain place in our heart that now the Lord is knocked out of number one in our heart and life, and now this other thing has all of our attention, or most of our attention, and the Lord's kind of like over here. Well, he says, I'm a jealous God. It applies to that, too, not just here in Exodus. So he, he wants you and myself to serve him. He does not want anything in your heart and life, in my heart and life, to be placed in a position that he is to be placed in. That's called an idol. Okay, um, let's go to Nehemiah. So there's a danger in the mixed multitude. It's dangerous. Now, Nehemiah 13, now you know the setting for this, right? They're taken into Babylon, the, uh, everybody from Judah. They served, I think, 70 years in Babylon. And now, you know, the whole government has changed. They're, the Babylonians are defeated. And uh, I think it's the Medo-Persians. Cyrus begins to allow Ezra and Nehemiah to go back and you know, build the wall and, and uh, the temple and so forth. Well, I want to show you here in 13, <clears throat> verse 3. So it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So when they were in Babylon, um, I imagine that they didn't have the scrolls with them. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they did. But it doesn't seem as though um, they, they were having, having it read or whatever. That doesn't give any indication of that at all. But, but here, somehow, they get a hold of them. I don't know where. Uh, verse 1, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. So maybe some of the priests had the scrolls, but the, the, there was no like synagogues or whatever in Babylon, of course, to you know, read the scrolls and do the teaching and whatever. But now they're, they're coming back. And they take the scrolls and they begin to read them. So when they hear these things, they separate all the mixed multitude from Israel. 
they, they see some things, they understand some things, and they know that the mixed multitude, as remember, there were, when they were in Babylon, there were some inter, um, they did some intermarriage with the Babylonians. Now, maybe not all of them, maybe, maybe that was just a, a portion of them. They were there 70 years. Maybe some of them lost their, their faith in, in the Lord. They, they said, well, you know, here we are. We're going to be here the rest of our life. They didn't believe what Jeremiah said, 70 years. Uh, and so maybe they just kind of gave up on their faith and decided that they would just intermarry. You know, I mean, we're here in Babylon. You know, we may as well just intermarry. And besides, I like the way he or she looks. And so... Let's get married. So they separate the mixed multitude. Verse 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair. And this is pretty radical, isn't it? This is pretty radical. This is Jeremiah, I mean, excuse me, Nehemiah. He struck some of them, pulled out their hair. He's trying to get their attention and made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons nor take their daughters for your sons for yourselves. So, see, that was part of the, the law of Moses that they read. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. So there's the influence again of the mixed multitude. Should we then hear uh, of your, your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Verse 30. Thus I cleansed them of every pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service. So he, he cleansed them, or he, he caused a separation between them and the pagan women or whatever, men. Which, you know, when you think about that, that's, it's pretty radical. Because they had to, I mean, I don't know how long some were married, but they had to actually give up their wife. What I'm reading here. He said, no, this is not right. The Mosaic Law says it's not right. And you need to separate the mixed multitude from among the congregation. And they need to, to go. They need to go. Now, in um, we'll go to Ezra in a minute, but I want to read. You can go to Ezra 9. That's right before Nehemiah. I want to read something from <coughs> Jeremiah. The word of the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. And then he says, pertaining to this same thing, a sword is against their horses, against their chariots, against 
all the mixed people or the mixed multitude who are in her midst, and they will become like women. So Jeremiah prophesied, and he, he's talking about the sword that would come and, and separate them. There would be a separation of the mixed multitude. Now in Ezra, Ezra 9, verse 1, when these things were done, the, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. Now see, you're talking about the priests. You're talking about the Levites. These are the ones that the Lord was to use in the tabernacle. Well, you know, if there's not separation, uh, they cannot be used correctly in that capacity. So here, Ezra is saying here, now Ezra was a priest, by the way, that the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites. And, of course, that's dealing with them serving other gods and also other things that they did that were an abomination to God. For example, they would offer their children in the fire to burn them to their gods. There were different things that they did that were an abomination before God. And to have his people, you know, marry them and get close to them, it's an abomination. Uh, with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, Ammonites, uh, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Verse 2. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed. You see that? The holy seed is mixed with the people of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. So even the leaders were doing this, and it was worse for them because they had greater responsibility before God. And, and they did the same thing. And so the Lord, being the jealous God that he is, doesn't take too kindly to all this. And that's why the Lord raises up individuals to do his bidding in this, to bring about a separation, to bring about what is needed in a certain generation uh, to get the people's hearts turned to him if he can. And so you see that with Nehemiah and you see it here with Ezra. So this, this seed, the holy seed, is mixed with the people of the land. Verse 3. So when I heard this thing, I tore my, gar my garment and my robe and plucked out the hair of my head and beard. Uh, he's pretty, I mean, fervor in his serving the Lord. I mean, he's so upset, he plucks out the hair of his beard and plucks out some of his hair on his head. That's pretty rough. But, you know... The sin uh, that was there in the congregation was uh, such an abomination that Ezra 
having the heart of God. You know, he just, you know, this can't be so. You can't, you know, let this continue on. Verse 4. Then everyone who trembled at the words uh, of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. So he sat there all day long astonished that the leaders and the people, you know, did this. Now, we're going to come back, I think, to Ezra. So maybe you can hold your place there. Now turn to Revelation. Revelation 17, verse 1. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, waters in various places in the Bible is referring to people or to humanity. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast and so on and so forth. And it says, and she was full of names of blasphemy and the, the harlot here, there can be several meanings of what John sees here, but one of the common um, meanings is the world system. Uh, the world system is as a harlot that will, will reach out like a harlot would reach out and embrace the man who walks by and try to bring him in to her, the world system will reach out, so to speak, and will try to grab hold of you and draw you in to its bosom. And so the great harlot has blasphemy upon her lips, and the world system today, as it's always been, uh, and today, it seems as though things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse, uh, which means that there is a, a multiplication of the reaching out and the drawing in to the great harlot. Verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters... Because remember, she sits on many waters. The waters which you saw uh, where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so the world, the uh, nations of the world, the peoples of the world, uh, the, the, the different multitudes of the world uh, are tied into the world system. They have given their allegiance, so to speak, to the harlot, although they don't you know, perceive her as the harlot. The world system for the merchants is a way of selling and buying merchandise. The whole 
the whole world system says that um, the, whole, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And so the world system that will reach out and take, want to take you or whomever as a Christian and draw them ever closer to the world system uh, will do that with all those who do not stand for God and do not walk with God. You know, he will, they will, the harlot will draw them closer and closer and closer to the outer area, to the outskirts, hopefully to draw them across the line, wherever that you know, would be, back into the world. And that has happened with Christians where they had one, at one time served the Lord, but they have gone their own way, and the harlot has you know, got its tentacles into, into them and drawn them back to their old, old way of living, their old lifestyle, uh, no longer to be uh, with the Lord. Now, in Revelation 18, verse 3, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. See, they buy, they sell, they become rich. They love the world system. They, 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 what that means to them is a source of... Uh, you know, becoming rich and uh, to do what they want with their lives, what they want. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. So God's people can become like the mixed multitude. They can be drawn in uh, to the world system. Now, that does not mean that you don't go to work. It doesn't mean that you don't do certain things. Jesus, Jesus said that, you know, we are to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. See, there's a difference. You have to work. You have to do certain things. Uh, you have to go to the grocery store. It's not talking about anything like that. It's talking about the allegiance of the individual's heart, you know, are they tied into the world system? Is that uh, something that is in the forefront of, of their thinking, in the foref forefront of their heart? See? Or is it not? So he says here, my people come out from her, my people, my people, my people. So obviously, there are some of his people that are tied into the world, tied into the world. Maybe uh, they're, they're so, they go to church, but maybe there's a, a real interest uh, in their career, and they devote all their time and effort to their career. It's not just a job. See? It's not just a job anymore that you can pay your bills. It doesn't become that. It becomes... You know, my career and how far up I can go in a company or how much money I can make, uh, you know, uh, in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. 
I know of an individual who started with a company and their goal was within five years to be a partner. And um, they, they set themselves in that direction and they actually did that in seven years, which was very impressive in, in the world standards. And became a partner, uh, one of the partners in seven years. Uh, see, but that takes its toll on the Christian because the focus there was that, not so much the Lord, you know, you know not, not so much you know, learning from his, his word. That does not take the priority. You know, what takes the priority is my career. Now in, I'll just quote this because we're running out of time. This is from Proverbs. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth, with her words. Now, there's a dual meaning there in Proverbs. The strange woman can be, a, you know, a harlot, a strange woman, of course, but it also can refer to the world. You know, becoming a strange woman in that, you know, the world flatters you, you know, with her words, and then you know you you're drawn in. Now in um, Back in Ezra. Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians. This is a familiar portion of Scripture. We, we know this one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be un, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do you know that um, unequally yoked together, that is a present participle. So that means that presently, continually, a person can be drawn into this where they are unequally yoked. He says, don't be, uh, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? See, there, there is no communion between light and darkness. When, when God created the world, he spoke and he said, let there be light, and the light dispelled the darkness, just like it says in John. So there, there is no middle ground with light and darkness. You know, you go into a room and it's dark, when you turn on the light, the darkness is dispelled. There's, not, there's, there's like no in-between there. And what accord, this is verse 15, or, or agreement, what agreement has Christ with Belial? Belial means worth, what is worthless? Worthlessness, that's what it means. And usually this refers to, um, refers to people. You know, don't, don't be yoked with those whose life is worthless because they, they are not, their hearts are not pointed toward the Lord. You know, what agreement, what fellowship are you going to have with them? See, you can't have, the light cannot have fellowship with the darkness. What agreement can you have with worthlessness? Well, we can do things as Christians 
that the Lord can say, you know, that's totally worthless. Why are you even doing that? You know, so there is to be, by the leading of the Spirit of God, a separation in our lives. Verse 16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Now, this is quite something. I will dwell in them and walk, my version says, among them. But the, the preposition there can mean among, it can mean with, it can mean in. Or, or all of them. I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. How, how is the Lord going to walk in you? How's the Lord going to walk in you? Well, see, you do His will and purpose for your life. See? So He has a specific purpose for you, whatever that may be. And as you do that purpose, He walks in you. He's walking in you to fulfill that purpose. I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and that's and be separate. Uh, that is, um, it's an active voice, which means that you have something to do. Active voice means that the subject, you come out from among them, you perform the action, whatever that action may be, whatever separation that must be performed by you, that action you have to do. And it also is an imperative, which is command. He commands us. It's not a, a choice. If you want to serve God and you want your walk to be what it should be with the Lord, then he commands you to be separate. It's a command. And, and you have to be able to determine by the Spirit of God what that means, for example, when you go to work. I mean, you might, so to speak, be around people at work, but you can't rub elbows with them, if you know what I mean. You can't be doing the same thing that they do. So there must be a separation in the heart and the life. You must be separated, you know, whatever that, that would be for you in your life. The Lord will show you. So come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. So that which is unclean can be touched with the heart. See, not just with the physical hand. See, touching that which is unclean, you know, that can take place within where, where we touch something. It's just like Jesus said that, that if a man looks at a woman to lust, he has committed adultery with her in his heart, see, so he touched the unclean thing by not even touching her. See, so there, there's other things. You can, uh, you can touch things without a physical touching. You can touch them with your heart. Now, in Ezra, Ezra 6, just to, I had a couple more verses I wanted to get to, but we don't have enough time. Just read these two. Ezra 6, 21. Then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves 
from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. See, that was the purpose behind the separation there. The purpose behind it is there. You can see that. In order to seek the Lord God of Israel. They separated themselves. That's the reason. And then in, in chapter 10, verse 11. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives or from the world system. Let's see. Make confession to the Lord God of the Father to do his will. To do his will. And so the Lord is interested in our separation. He's interested in our hearts and our lives being separated from the world because he is a jealous God. And he wants our hearts. And he wants us to serve him and not place anything in our hearts above him. And that, being what it, what it should be in our lives, will bring the blessing of God in your life. Will bring, will bring the blessing of God to you. And so the Lord, he has these things that he tells us to do. And it's always for our benefit. It's always to, to do something special for you. That's why he says these things. Not, you know, that you can't do this, you can't do that. It's not about that. It's about the blessings, as he says in, in Deuteronomy, so that the blessing would overtake you. It's going to come from behind you. You don't even know it's coming. There it comes, there it comes, there it comes. And there, boom, it overtakes you. And you, you're looking... The Lord has blessed your life, and you say, wow, this has really been something. Uh, I look back on my life from years ago, whenever I was not a Christian, when I first became a Christian, I did not really realize, you know, how the Lord could, could bless my life. And, you know, walking with him for, you know, some years now, I look back and I can see the different ways that the Lord has intervened and he has done certain things and so your separation no i'll stop with this your separation will bring the blessing of god to you amen